You are listening to Holy Heresy, a podcast that looks for the questions found at the intersection of spirituality, justice, and the arts. Holy Heresy is brought to you by the First Congregational Church of Los Angeles. Good morning, and welcome to First Congregational Church of Los Angeles. Your presence in this shared space we create each week enriches our community. Here, we are all welcome. Wherever we are on the journey, we are free to be who we are, to love who we love, and to explore our faith and beliefs at our own pace. Today, we continue our fall series, An Evolving God, Evolving World, Evolving Purpose, as Reverend Michael invites us to consider the question, Who is God? Fresh snow coated the impossibly magnificent granite slopes of Yosemite National Park this week. Entering the place was like driving into a Bob Ross painting. Happy little trees everywhere. Of course, this made climbing Half Dome, for which I'd entered a permit lottery, far too dangerous. There was a time I would have persisted, stubbornly holding on despite potential harm to myself and those who, in perilous conditions, might be called upon to rescue me. We wisely descended into the valley instead, following the example of snow-turned-rain, allowing gravity to carry us to a new path, the kind that reveals more of itself only in the yielding to and embrace of its mystery. Imagining the spiritual journey as a series of mountaintops and valleys taps into an ancient human consciousness. Summits as places of revelation, thin places where the experience of the divine is most intense. Valleys, then, as places of shadows, doubts, fears, where the holy feels distant at best and at worst, absent totally. Moments like these are certainly part of my spiritual autobiography, but most chapters are more complex. Today, for instance, long glacier-grooved valleys reveal so much of God to me, a steady, persistent, loving presence, constantly changing and reshaping, leaving learned beauty in its wake even when it appears immovable and silent. Conversely, there are some mountains in my journey that have become quite small in the rear view, and for which I am grateful. What I once held on to as pinnacles of my belief and faith finally eroded. But not only did I repeatedly return to their summits, not realizing the danger to myself, but obstinately dragged others up with me as well. If I pray hard enough, I thought in the ninth grade, my grandmother's brain cancer will be healed. If we can get just enough people praying, maybe that will be enough to change God's mind. After hugging her goodbye a final time in that hospice care, my silent tears on the car ride home were not only for sadness of my family's impending loss, 
but also for anger at God, or at least who I imagined the Holy One to be at that time. There are notions of God accrued across the generations, writes Sister Joan, that do more to destroy the idea of God than they do to seed it through the rational world. God, the world and church around her insisted, was a magician that could make things happen, like sun on a picnic on a rainy day, or good grades for those who didn't study. If this were God, she thought, it couldn't be true that God loved everyone, at least equally. Clearly, there were favorites. God was a puppeteer pulling the strings of our lives, Joan was also asked to believe. But only some got jobs and resources, some even gratuitous opportunities, while others, equally or even more religious, got long-term illnesses that stole their dreams of life. If this were God, this God was actually uncaring and uninterested in so many of us. God, Joan was further asked to believe, was a vending machine. Powerful, yes, but not just. A woman in her congregation would pray fervently that her husband would stop drinking. But after years of prayers, what resulted was a divorce and three children for her to raise alone. It was the drunken husband, it seemed, who'd won the lottery. If this were God, Joan concluded, God was at best arbitrary, capricious, and unreasonable, always testing us. And for what? God, the warrior judge, was an image Joan learned very early. A child of World War II, she recalls praying every day in school that God would defeat Germany and would crush the Japanese. And it seemed to her in the end that God heard her prayers. But what did that mean, she wondered? That God was punishing half the people of the globe who had nothing to do with plotting the wars that were killing them? Had God decided that the innocent of each nationality would simply be destroyed? Most troubling to Joan was the image of God as tempter or tease. This God gave us free will and then watched us screw up so we could be caught in the act and condemned forever unless we prayed the sinner's prayer, the length and breadth of faith reduced to a one-time transactional decision that rescued us from the fires of hell. This week, I read of the famous 8th-century Iraqi mystic and lover of God, Rabia. One day, she goes through the city with a lit torch in one hand and a bucket of water in the other. The puzzled people of the city ask Rabia what she was doing. She responded that with the lit torch, she was going to burn down heaven, and with a bucket of water, she was going to quench the fires of hell so that people would have no reason left to worship a God other than God. Rabia's path, like Sister Jones, was the via negativa, the negative way, the process of naming who God is not 
in order to discover who God is. This process allows her finally to claim who she discovered the divine to be, a relentless but gentle presence, a lover who holds us in brokenness and wholeness, sorrow and joy, outside of whose love we can only be found by deceiving ourselves that such a thing is even possible. Would that we hold the fullness of our stories with such deep compassion as the divine beholds ours that as we uncover images of the sacred we've clung to that have harmed rather than healed, images that have been used as justification for control and exclusion and subjugation, images that have convinced us and others that God hates all the same people we do, that we are patient and kind with ourselves while letting them So much of this great mystery only becomes clear with time, sometimes glacial time. So we learn to lean in and trust again the slow work of God, as Chardin said, and begin to unearth what perhaps we have always known to be true. The poets in the book of the Psalms do this with such honesty and vulnerability that their words have become cairns, guiding waypoints along a trail for countless spiritual journeyers over the centuries. And they are reminders how vital it is to find friends with whom to share these journeys of spiritual wrestling and discerning where and how the holy can be experienced. Though all our language of God is metaphor, the unique ways each of us learns to experience and finally express who God is will reveal more and more pieces of the grand mosaic. The poet of Psalm 18 offers artfully these, living presence, my strength, stronghold, and freedom the rock and foundation of my life. Just one, tower of strength, source of truth and light, heart of my heart. Compassionate one, who drew me out of the waters, delivered me from my fears and my ignorance that was hidden from me so long. Merciful one, ever present, you brought me into the light, released my fears, delighted in me. Who is our creator but the source of love? And who is life except the divine presence? You give me freedom to choose the journey road. I elect the narrow way. Awad Afifi, a Tunisian Sufi master in the 19th century, once shared with his students about a gentle rain falling on a high mountain in a distant land. The rain was hushed and quiet, trickling down granite slopes. Gradually, it increased in strength. Rivulets of water rolled over the rocks and down the gnarled tree that grew there. 
The rain fell as water must, without calculation. Soon it was pouring as swift currents of dark water flowed together into the beginnings of a stream. The brook traveled down the mountainside through small stands of cypress trees and fields of lavender-tipped purslane down cascading falls. It moved without effort, splashing over stones, learning that the stream interrupted by rocks is the one that sings most nobly. Finally, having left its heights in the distant mountain, the stream made its way to the edge of a great desert. Having crossed every other barrier in its way, the stream fully expected to cross this as well. But as fast as its waves splashed into the desert, that fast did they disappear into the sand. Before long, the stream heard a voice whispering, as if coming from the desert itself, saying, The wind crosses the desert, so can the stream. Yes, but the wind can fly, cried out the stream, still dashing itself into the desert sand. You'll never get across that way, the desert whispered. You have to let the wind carry you. But how? shouted the stream. You have to let the wind absorb you. The stream could not accept this, not wanting to lose its identity or abandon its individuality. After all, if it gave itself to the winds, could it ever be sure of becoming a stream again? The desert replied that the stream could continue its flowing, perhaps one day even producing a swamp there at the desert's edge. But it would never cross the desert so long as it remained a stream. Why can't I remain the stream that I am? The water cried. And the desert answered ever so wisely, you never can remain what you are. Either you become a swamp or you give yourself to the winds. At this, the stream went silent for a long time, listening to distant echoes of memory, knowing parts of itself having been held before in the arms of the wind. From that long-forgotten place, it gradually recalled how water overcomes only by yielding, by flowing around obstacles, by turning steam when threatened by fire. From the depths of that silence, slowly the, the stream raised its vapors to the welcoming arms of the wind and was borne upward, carried easily on great white clouds over the wide desert. Approaching distant mountains on the desert's far side, the stream then began once again to fall as light rain. At first, the rain was hushed and quiet, trickling down granite slopes. Gradually, it increased in strength. Rivulets of water rolled over the rocks and down the gnarled tree that grew there. The rain fell as water must without calculation. And soon it was pouring as swift currents of dark water flowed together yet again into the headwaters of a new stream. Won't you share with us fragments of the ancient name as they whisper to you in still small voices? 
as they lift you to the heights and show you the way through the valleys. As Sister Joan writes, I have no doubt now that God is with us all and comes often to many in a burst of awareness. I will be who I will be, said the holy flame to Moses. It seems that God is a verb, always conjugating, resisting easy definition. And yet, as I have learned to embrace that mystery, I have, an ex I have experienced an embrace every time, like echoes of memory I carry into each yielding and letting go. It feels most like love to me, and it is always enough. May we all find enough on the journey road and narrow way, ever evolving, ever learning, ever loving, as we are returned again and again and again and again to who we truly Amen. If you enjoyed what you heard, you can join us for service each Sunday morning in person or on YouTube, or consider supporting First Church by making a tax-deductible gift at fccla.org slash give.